Welcome to the Doodle Kisses podcast, an extension of doodlekisses.com. I'm your host, Adina Pearson. Doodlekisses.com is the social network for Labradoodle and Golden Doodle owners, wannabe owners, and the Doodle Curious. The goal of this podcast is to provide education, entertainment, and connect with our Doodle Kisses members on the topic of Labradoodles, Golden Doodles, and dogs in general. Josh is a spunky mini golden doodle who is just living his life. He also happens to have cerebellar hypoplasia and over 100,000 followers on Instagram. I got to spend time chatting with his owner, Kimberly Elliott, who, inspired by Josh, has created a nonprofit with the goal of both raising awareness about and rescuing special needs dogs, as well as helping humans be more accepting of and kind to each other. We got to talk about her love of doodles, how she met Josh, what makes him special, his challenges, rescue work in general, and the Be Like Josh Foundation. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Kim. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Adina. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you. I don't remember when I ran across your Instagram, but I remember seeing all these little videos of Josh and I was intrigued and wanted to know more. And then I kept following you and saw that you do all sorts of wonderful rescue work. And so I thought it'd be fun to chat. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Our, uh, our Instagram page has definitely evolved since I started a couple years ago. I was actually just reflecting on that uh, yesterday because I kind of did sort of like a re-welcome because we've had this boom in followers lately and uh, mm-hmm. and it kind of just reminded everyone like what we're about, what we're doing, why we're doing it because sometimes I'm so close to the project myself that I often forget. So it was a good reminder for me too. Yeah, totally. So I want to, before we get into the Be Like Josh Foundation and some of your specific yeah. work, I want to hear about your dog story. How did you discover your love of dogs? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm first of all, I'm doing this podcast from my car outside my work so that I could be in the peace and quiet. And I'm just sitting here laughing to myself right now because dogs, it's such a deep subject for me. Um, obviously, what's not to love about dogs? I mean, dogs are my life. I think I started really getting into dogs. Um, it's funny saying really getting into dogs. <laughs> I guess I'll go back to the beginning. I, I rescued my first dog as an adult, like a, a really like a focused, conscious decision to rescue a dog um, when I was 30 years old. So 10 years ago, I rescued our first dog. His name was Larry. He was a black lab. And I just, on a whim, I literally had too much time on my hands. And I said, I'm going to go out. I'm going to get a dog. And I actually went to this, uh, I met up with this rescue at this boarding facility, looking at a different dog. I'll never forget. It was a pit bull named Sunshine. And I said, hey, I'm here to meet Sunshine. And uh, at the time, I didn't understand what a fear dog was. But in Mm -hmm. hindsight, Sunshine was a fear dog. And I had seen her listed on Craigslist. This rescue uh, like listed their dogs on Craigslist. And just like anyone else, I hop on Craigslist and I see a dog. She looks interesting. I go down to meet it. And um, Sunshine was not interested in meeting me. And they obviously assessed that I was not ready. I was not like a dog savvy dog owner. So Uh I was not ready for a fear dog. And so they quickly directed me to this black lab named Larry. And I said, you know, I'm not, I was really here for Sunshine. I'm not interested in Larry. And they said, oh, let's, let me introduce you to Larry. And so they pulled out this really overweight, tired looking black lab named Larry. And they started throwing this tennis ball for him. And he was obsessed with the ball and and breathing heavy and frothing at the mouth and chasing the ball. And they were really hard selling me on Larry. And to be honest, Adina, I could not tell you what my brain was doing at that time. But I just looked at the lady and I said, all right, all right, give give me the leash. And I walked Larry, I walked to Larry across the yard and I look at him and I said, sit. And he sat and he looked at me and I looked at him again real firmly. I said, stay. And I turned my back to him and I walked probably 20 feet away and I look over and he's still staying. (laughs) And then I crouched down on the ground. I said, come. And he got up and he came right to me. And I look at this lady and I go, I'll take him." And she couldn't lift him into the back of my truck fast enough. She didn't charge me an adoption fee or anything. She just sent me on my way. 
and anyway, so that was like our very first dog. And, um, after that is when I told Andrew about a year later, I said, you know, I really want a golden doodle. And, um, a friends of ours, uh, his mom was breeding golden doodles, not like a breeder breeder, but just, she had a standard poodle and a golden doodle, Mac and Molly and Mac and Molly made great puppies. And so she had a litter of puppies. And she offered us a puppy for the bargain price of 600 bucks. This was a standard golden doodle F1B. And we took him in. His name was Doug. And he was the light of my life. And um, I I mean, I could keep going. But (laughs) so that was like, that was like our doodle. Yeah, that was our doodle experience. And, um, you know, we had our clean slate, quote unquote, clean slate, fresh start with Doug. He was an angel. He did nothing wrong ever. And then one day I was at like a pet adoption event and I saw this little scraggly dog. He looked half rat, half dog. He was maybe eight pounds. And I told Andrew, I said, you got to come meet this dog. And Andrew came down to the adoption event and I carried him out to the car. And I said, look at this dog. And Andrew goes, what is that? A rat? (laughs) And I said, I don't know. I just feel like we have to bring him home. And he looked at me and he's like, Kimberly, there's no way we can have three dogs. And I'm like, I know it's a lot. And I'm laughing, right? You're probably laughing because you know I have six dogs now. (laughs) I'd lost count. (laughs) And so I said, oh my God, he looks like a Kevin. Let's name him Kevin. And so that, that is how we really started. We had three dogs for a really long time. So we got Larry. A year later, we got Doug. A year later, we got Kevin. And then we had the three of them for a few years. And then um, Doug suddenly became sick one day. And literally, Adina, I took him into the vet on a Wednesday, Wednesday morning. And by Friday evening, he was non-responsive on the floor of the vet. And we had to put him down. He was four years old. He went into sudden liver failure. Yeah. And it really, like, my brain broke. I just, Mm -hmm. Andrew and I were crushed. We were not ready for that. And it took me a few months to, like, start feeling like I could have another dog again. And when I had that feeling... I don't know what it was, but I just felt like, you know, my next dog's going to be a rescue dog. And I don't know why, because yes, Larry was a rescue. Then I had a breeder dog. Then I had a rescue dog, but I wasn't like, like a rescue advocate. I wasn't like this passionate rescue advocate at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, It just happened to be how I acquired these dogs that I love, you know, rescue and breeder. And that's when I got into rescue. Um, I just, I started combing like the pet harbor sites looking for uh, essentially looking for a doodle and Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's really hard to find a doodle in rescue in Arizona. So I found doodles in New York and Texas and uh, California. And I started applying for these doodles and every doodle that looked like Doug. And Uh I got turned down every, I got turned down every time, every time they turned me down because I did not live in state. And I remember thinking, I'm like, wow, these rescues are so effed up. No one's going to give me a doodle. I'm such a great dog mom. I'm willing to drive to them. They should be paying me. Yes, yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, they should be so happy that I'm going to come rescue a dog. Um, Doodle Rock Rescue in Texas. I love them now. I understand them now. Um, They had a bonded pair that I applied for. And I'm like, I'll even take both these doodles. And they were like, no, you don't live in Texas. And uh, there was a doodle that was missing most of its hair with some sort of weird medical condition up in the New York. And mm-hmm. I offered to fly to New York, adopt the dog, rent a car and drive it back. And they said, no, you have to be in the tri-state area. I mean, I, Adina, I was ripping my hair out. I'm like, mm-hmm. I was begging for a rescue and no one would give me one. And then, then I came across Ben at Harbor. And little did I know what I was about to get into. And that's what really began my journey in rescue. And what did you get into with Ben? (laughs) I'm laughing because I know you kind of have an idea, um, but I'm I'm sure your listeners, they probably don't. So Ben was listed as a seven-month-old Woodle, which is a Wheaton Terrier Poodle mix. And he could pass for that. Yep, absolutely. I've also been told he looks like an Australian Labradoodle. We don't really know what Ben is. Mm-hmm. We just recently did a dog DNA test and it came back really strange stuff like Cocker Spaniel, Pit Bull, Golden Retriever. And to be honest, I, I don't know if I believe it. I'm not going to say the brand of DNA test that we did because I don't want to insinuate that they don't know what they're talking about. But 
uh, to be honest, there's nobody that agrees. There's no groomer. There's no vet. There's no dog owner that agrees with what the DNA test said. So, um, but anyway, he was listed as a woodle and, uh, I emailed the rescue and I kind of told them, you know, hi, I'm Kimberly Elliott. You know, this is where I live. These are the dogs I have. Here's my story. I lost my golden doodle. And I remember writing to Freedom Tales Rescue. The owner's name is Jen. I know her now. And I said, I lost my golden doodle, Doug. He was the love of my life. And I'm looking to mend my heart with a new doodle. And um, Ben was in high demand. She said she received over 40 applications for him. And the day we went to meet him and the day we adopted him, she, I asked her, I said, why did you choose us? And she just looked at me. She goes, cause you were so persistent. <laughs> I was just like, really, I was really, yeah, I was really persistent. So we went down to a pet smart and we met him and Andrew got down on the floor with him. And within like a minute, he looked at me, he's like, we've got to adopt this dog. And we paid our adoption fee and, and we, we brought Ben home. And it was not what I, it was was not what I expected. It wasn't Doug. No, it wasn't Doug. It wasn't anything I'd ever expected before because Kevin was an angel. Doug was an angel. Larry was an angel. And I, of course, had it in my mind that doodles, woodles, any kind of oodles, right? The Bernadoodles, the whatever, that anything oodle is going to be this easy to train dog and this awesome family dog because you know, we always hear golden doodles and labradoodles and I call them oodles. Everything Mm -hmm. oodles are so smart. Perfect teddy bears. Yeah. Perfect teddy bears. And Ben looks like a perfect teddy bear. I mean, he's the most beautiful, unique looking, uh, we'll call him a a woodle or labradoodle for conversation's sake that you've ever seen. I mean, he melts hearts. Every time I post pictures of him, he melts hearts. So we bring him home and the first, I mean, he, okay. So he counter surfed, uh, that first <laughs> night we made dinner, we sat down on our sofa to eat and he jumped up and ripped the food. The ha- We were eating ham. We made burgers. We grilled out burgers. He ripped the burger out of Andrew's hand. <laughs> no shame. He was food aggressive. So we fed our dogs just like out in the kitchen, all, you know, all three of our dogs out in the kitchen, um, eating. I had, I didn't know any different. Sure. You can take three dogs and put them in the same room and put bowls in front of them because that's what Doug, Larry and Kevin did. And I assumed that because it worked for my other trio, it'll work for this trio. And then just Ben just turned one day and went, went after Larry tore a hole in Larry's face. We had to get Mm. stitches on Larry. Yeah. And I freaked out. I'm like, Oh my God, this dog is aggressive. Oh my God. What, What do I do? This is a bad dog. This is not a good dog. I don't want this dog. I can't manage it. We try to take him for a walk. He's pulling on the leash. He chased cars. He went, he was like ravenous, like frothing at the mouth, barking at other dogs, um, high pitched, barking, squealing at any, any other pedestrian walking by. I couldn't control him on the leash. So I used to like to walk my dogs and sip my coffee and my shirt would be covered in coffee and screaming at the dog. I mean, it was really challenging. He, uh, he, there was neighbor dogs next to us and he would get so worked up barking at the neighbor dogs. One day he just, we live here in the Phoenix area. So instead of fences, we have these like six foot cinder block walls. Mm -hmm. He just jumped the wall one day, ran into my neighbor's yard through their doggy door into their home. Um, I mean, I could go on all day, but Mm -hmm. every, every dog, every dog offense you could possibly imagine, Ben was committing it. And within two weeks, I called the rescue and I'm like, I need help. And she's like, let me hook you up with this trainer. And I had never used a dog trainer before. And I had this preconceived notion in my head that this trainer was going to come out and he was going to be really expensive and um, that he wasn't going to be able to help me because surely I had something on my hands that, you know, could never be fixed and everything. And, and this guy, Sean, Sean Waters, I'll never forget. We talked on the phone. He came out to my house. And he changed my world. He, he came and yes, he was there to work with Ben, but he trained me. Sean trained me. He was there for two hours, him and his wife. And he educated Andrew and I on what we were dealing with, why we were dealing with it, how we handle it. It it started our journey with really, that was my first, that's when I really got to understand dogs. Mm -hmm. Had I not had Ben and I never met this trainer, I would have never really understood dogs and like dog mentality, dog psychology, how to talk to my dogs, how to interact with my dogs, 
And if it wasn't for that experience, I would never have been able to welcome more dogs into my pack. Um, so anyways, we, we began working with Sean. Sean's now a really good friend of mine. And I, I've, I've been working with Ben and we haven't stopped. It is, it's, it's not a full-time job, but Ben is always in need of boundaries. Uh, he's always in need of discipline, of structure. And so a lot of people, uh, they have a hard time believing that a dog so cute can be such a challenge. And I mm-hmm. tell them, I'm like, I love, I love Ben. I love him, but I have a very different relationship with him than I do my other dogs. And in fact, I have a different relationship with all six of my dogs. They're, every relationship is unique and different. Just as if you were to look at members of your family or, or your members of your social circle, every relationship is different. They're all my dogs, but my relationship with Ben is unique. I provide structure, boundaries, food, shelter, and that's how I show Ben love. I cannot show Ben affection and love the way I show Josh affection and love because it's not comfortable for Ben to receive affection and love that way. And it, it actually feeds into his insecurity, which is the root of all of his negative behaviors. Mm-hmm. And I could go on and on all day about Ben, but that's, that's really like that whole, that whole journey of going through rescue, getting Ben thinking I was getting this fluffy lover dog that was going to cuddle me and fix me. What I learned was it's actually my job to take care of Ben, not for Ben to take care of me. And I think that's probably, if someone were to say, what's your hot button issue when it comes to rescue is that demonstration right there. Yes. Is that a lot of people get dogs because they're like, well, I need blank. And they want that dog to fit into blank. But the Mm -hmm. reality is, is that it's really our job to care for these dogs. And that relationship might not meet your expectations, which is why I have six different dogs, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> one being cannot meet every one of your needs. <laughs> yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And what you mentioned makes sense now, probably as you're looking back to the rescues that said no, is that their job is to advocate for the dog. Like the dog is the client of the rescue, not the potential adopters, right? They're not trying to please the potential adopters. They're trying to make sure the dog has a perfect forever life. Absolutely. And I get that now. And I didn't understand that then. And it's probably one of the most frustrating roles I'm in now is that most people don't understand that. So while I sympathize with that, while I'm in my role of rescuer now, Mm-hmm. You know, I do, I know there are a lot of disappointments and sometimes hurt feelings. And some people probably feel rejected when I tell them no, or I don't get back to them in a timely manner. And I had, I really had to do a lot of work on myself. That's one of the things also is the being an animal advocate uh, in whatever realm that is for me, it's dog rescue. Being an animal advocate is really such a a learning process and a journey with the self because I'm naturally a people pleaser. And so um, I have to constantly remind myself, Kimberly, you're here working on behalf of the dogs. You're not here for the people. You're here for the dogs. Um, So that's that's an ongoing lesson. (laughs) I can imagine that's a really tough position to be in as someone who wants to make people happy too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that you also mentioned that, you know, once you did a lot of training with Ben, that it wasn't just like, he's done. He's now okay. That it's for a lot of dogs that have behavioral problems or, you know, whatever you want, however we want to describe Ben, it, it's a lifetime of management most of the time. Yeah, absolutely. I've done a couple little training videos, like really very basic training videos through our Instagram platform. Cause people always ask me, like I get a lot of inquiries of, of problems in the home with their dogs and they want me to help them. And I always say, you've got to hire a trainer. If I were to just turn my back on him and no longer enforce boundaries and no longer advocate for what Ben needs, he's just going to go right back to those same behaviors. Yeah. He might not go back as far, but he will definitely regress enough that it shows up. If I do slack off, Um, with Ben and I'm not working on the boundaries and the advocacy for his needs like I need to, I do see him regress. I do see some of his anxiety come back. I see him act out. Um, And I'll look at Andrew and I'll say, Hey, we got to We got to get back to it with Ben. And so we do, we hold Andrew and I hold each other accountable. And Ben is a full, I don't want to say he's a full-time job, but it's, it's always full-time 
full-time boundaries with him. He does not have the freedoms that other dogs do. We ask more of him. We ask him to sit in place for extended periods of time and have more crate time and just have more boundaries. And to the, the untrained eye, to the outsider looking in, they think, oh, wow, Ben doesn't have as much fun as the other dogs. But what mm-hmm. they don't understand and what took me a long time to understand, and Sean had to teach me that, is Ben doesn't feel good functioning in my pack like the other dogs. He doesn't want to make his own decisions. When Ben has to make his own decisions, he makes bad decisions. And we need to be the leader for Ben. And so that's why we give him more boundaries and restrictions. Whereas Josh and George and Greg, they get to have all the privileges. They are perfectly at peace having Mm -hmm. freedom and privileges. So they can handle all of that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting dynamic. So we did an episode back in October called Managing the Challenging Doodle. It was episode number five for listeners who haven't listened to it. It's a really good one with a similar story of a dog who was a challenging dog since he was 10 weeks old and needed a lot. His owner had to go through a lot of training and learning and relearning how to just keep things peaceful in the house because she has an Australian Labradoodle that if the boundaries aren't there, then he starts to perform some pretty naughty behaviors. Yeah. And can try to take over. Yeah. Yeah. That's what happens is they, they want to become, I mean, for like lack of better term, they want to be the leader, Mm -hmm. but yet being the leader is uncomfortable for them. And you know, the, the behaviors, the acting, I mean, he's, he's bitten me, he's bitten Larry, he's bitten other dogs. It's like, you know, that's really serious stuff. And unfortunately, because doodles are so adorable, sometimes people don't lend them you know, the respect that they deserve. You know, I think if it was, you know, a German Shepherd or a Husky or a Pit or some of these other breeds, maybe they would be more cautious. But with doodles, I feel like sometimes people don't, they forget that they're still dogs. At the end of the day, a dog is a dog is a dog. It's a species. There's just some constants that remain, even if your dog is, you know, tends to, like a lot of people love to title doodles like family dogs and put these titles on them. Mm-hmm. But it's, he, they're still dogs. They're still dogs. And actually, standard poodles can really have some challenging, um, challenging personality traits. And you're talking about dogs that are 50% to 75% standard poodle. I mean, that that poses some challenges to some dog doodle owners. So, right, right. There's breed traits, and then there's just dog. And all the breeds probably have more in common with each other than they do with us across the board. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And doodles, anytime a dog is really popular, there's going to be thousands of breeders and only a small percentage that are really doing a good job and starting with healthy temperaments to begin with. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'm curious about Josh. <laughs> I want to hear, because I don't really I know. know how you came to find Josh in the first place. I know all about his life now. I'd love to hear myself and I think our listeners who might not be familiar would love to hear about how you, how Josh became a part of your life. Well, it's so funny. I, I like sitting here seriously laughing at myself because <laughs> like I said, I'm so close to my own situation that, you know, I don't see it clearly, but as I'm already thinking in my head, the story that I'm about to tell you, I think, gosh, I must just, no wonder people always like to assign me these like superhuman strengths. And I'm not, I really am like your typical, your typical person, but I do make some really wild choices. And, um, I mean, I'm, I would call Josh one of my wild choices. Um, and I'm, I couldn't be happier with the choice, but, um, so, so in the wake of Ben, uh, you know, I got into rescue right after Ben, two weeks later, we welcomed George as a foster. We foster failed with George. Um, and that's a whole other story. Uh, that could be a whole other episode (laughs) of itself. Um, I know we welcomed, we welcomed two challenging dogs. George is a wonderful dog, um, but he's a great Pyrenees, um, which is a really that talk about breed traits. Uh, you know, a great Pyrenees is, is a really interesting breed. So we have Ben and George in the house and we're fostering lots of dogs and our, our home is really turns into this like revolving door of foster dogs and rescue dogs. I just threw myself into the work. I was having some health problems at the time and I needed to just refocus my energy on something else. And I chose dog rescue. And, um, and so for about a year after getting Ben, um, I was just up on a 
on a morning, a Sunday morning, drinking my coffee, scrolling through Facebook. And I'm linked to so many different rescue pages on, on Facebook. You know, social media is great for Mm -hmm. uh, rescue networking. And I saw a local rescue. They're called the farm rescue uh, here in Arizona said they just posted a picture of a, a red golden doodle. And it said foster needed for special needs, golden doodle. Now, if you recall my golden doodle fever, in the process of acquiring Ben, that never went away because once I learned that Ben wasn't going to be my golden doodle that was going to, you know, do the doodle thing, like stare into my eyes, stare into my soul, be this cuddly teddy bear. I, it's almost like when women get, I imagine, I should say, I imagine (laughs) when women get baby fever, that's what it was like. I had this golden doodle fever and Uh my mind believed that I needed a golden doodle to fill what was missing inside me. And for a year I had been fostering all these dogs and I had added dogs to my pack. And I now had five dogs in my house that were permanently members of my family. And I still, there was something missing. And, and, you know, it, it felt like what was missing was Doug. Obviously I couldn't have him back, but a golden doodle. And so I see this pop up in my newsfeed and by this time, I had quite a reputation here in the Valley of, you know, Kimberly Elliott working with Take Me Home Arizona Rescue, fosters dogs, was always pulling dogs from the county shelter, evaluating dogs, networking dogs and, and whatnot. So people in the rescue community knew who I was and knew, you know, the rescue community can sometimes be a little touch and go in terms of uh, transparency and being on the up and up and stuff. And I had been being mentored by Sean Waters, the dog trainer. So I had a pretty good reputation. So I knew I had a really good shot at fostering this golden doodle. And basically, you know, they just said like, you got to have a flexible schedule and be able to take this dog to physical therapy appointments. And I, I'm a personal trainer. I also do physical therapy. So this, this ad was like appealing to me on all levels. And I rushed into the bedroom and Andrew's still sleepy. I'm like, Andrew, wake up. And by this time, Adina, by this time, my voice was already cracking. My chin was quivering. My eyes were filling up with tears. I was already, from the time I walked from my sofa to my bedroom, so emotionally invested in the idea of fostering this golden doodle with special needs, whatever that meant. That was already crying. And I said, mm-hmm. Andrew, we're going to foster this golden doodle. And, and you have to like, you have to say, okay. And you have to like, do it with me. And he's like, okay, we can do whatever you want. And, uh, and so I messaged the rescue and I said, you know, this is who I am. And I'm really interested in fostering this golden doodle. And I think I can do it. And so we had some conversations back and forth. They said he had cerebellar hypoplasia. I immediately began Googling this and what is it? And honestly, like it it probably took me months to fully understand what cerebellar hypoplasia um, was and is. Um, But at the time I just, all I kept, I had tunnel vision for golden doodle puppy. Mm-hmm. And I knew that if I fostered this dog, that if I wanted to adopt him, that I would have first choosing to adopt because, you know, we, us rescues, we always let the foster kind of choose first, right? Cause we don't want to, you know, if they already have a relationship with the dog. So I knew I was, I played the long game on this one, Adina, I played the long game. I was like, I'm going to foster this dog. And then that way I'll, I'll have first choice. Uh if I want to adopt. And so I started reading up on cerebellar hypoplasia and, you know, okay, there's no cure and this is what it is. And, you know, and the lifespan is typical, you know, so I thought, okay, you know, I can do this. And so the rescue said, you know, just hit me up one day and they said, Hey, uh, are you home? This like a couple of days later, Hey, are you home? We'd like to come over. And I thought, Oh my God, they're doing a spontaneous home check. So I started like meticulously cleaning my house and everything and, you know, I'm like scrubbing my floors and dusting and doing all this stuff. What I didn't know is they were, they were so intimidated. They had just pulled Josh and two siblings from this breeder and they had never seen anything like the, his condition before either. So what they were thinking was we better bring this dog over to her and see if she can handle them. Because if she can't, we got to rule her out and we got to start finding a foster that can handle this case. So I'm thinking they're doing a home check and I'm nervous. They're thinking I'm not going to want them and they're nervous. So they come over, we come out, I come out to the front yard. They pull this red auburn curly ball of fluff out of the car. They set him down on my grass and I literally, I'm like getting choked up right now. Oh, 
I fell to my knees and I like started sobbing. And I remember saying, he's perfect. He's beautiful. And he could, he could barely walk six, eight steps without falling over. But the whole time, Adina, he was like, had this smile on his face, the Josh smile with these Mm -hmm. crooked teeth. And he was just trying to walk over to me and he kept falling every couple steps. (laughs) And I I remember my brain was thinking, what in the F are you going to do with this dog? (laughs) But I just, I was so I had already committed and I'm I'm like that kind of person you know once I set my mind to something I'm just going to do it and I think that comes from like uh, my very first manager like in personal training sales he's like make the sale figure out how to satisfy the customer later so that's always my mindset is like make the commitment and then figure out how to rise to the occasion later and that's like what I did with Josh I just thought I'm committing to this dog and I'll figure out how to rise to the occasion. And so, you know, we welcomed Josh that day. I was by myself. Andrew was at like a Cardinals game. So he didn't come home till late. And um, I told the rescue, I'm like, I'll figure it out. But I was so scared. I had never seen this before. I had never, I had never been around any sort of special abilities, special needs community. I'd never been around people or children with disabilities. I didn't know proper um, language to use. I did not know, I did not understand anything about the world of special abilities at all. I had never been, I never believed that dogs lived with special abilities. I thought that if a dog had anything quote unquote wrong with it, that you, you know, you let it go, you Mm -hmm. euthanize it. You, you know, I was from that same mindset. I mean, I I didn't like it, but pretty common up until very recently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had no idea that, 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 that dogs like this can thrive and that this whole world existed. I I had no idea. I don't, to be honest, in hindsight, I'm still shocked that I went down this road because it's like this unknown uncharted territory. And I remember thinking like, I am not, I don't have the experience for this. I have like no experience whatsoever. And I didn't know that you don't need experience. You just need the desire to want to learn. And that's, I guess that's, I maybe did. I don't even know that I had that initially. I just was hooked on golden doodle, to be honest. Yeah. No one believes me when I say this, but I was. You're like, however he is, he's a golden doodle and I love him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I know that sounds, that sounds that's what I mean by wild, right? Yeah, like yeah. that's so wild. What if he was like another Ben? I mean, I don't know that I could have handled another Ben, but, and so we went from there and, uh, you know, it just, people started saying, Hey, try this, try this. One person suggested, Hey, have you ever tried taking him for a walk in a wagon? Cause it, it the, like on the first day we used to walk our, we'd walk our dogs every day. We do these training walks, you know, mainly for Ben. Um, and so we'd like to walk our dogs as pack in a pack. And I felt bad that I'm like, well, how am I going to walk this dog? that I named Josh. He can't walk. And someone said, Hey, let me loan you my utility wagon. You know, my kids take it to the beach and we put a dog bed in it and a blanket and we put him in there. And by God, we took him for a walk. I mean, he was smiling and bobbing his head. I don't think anyone ever taken the dog for a walk before. Uh-huh. And so we, be- we became that family pulling this little yellow wagon around our neighborhood. We had a pack of dogs and a wagon and our neighbors would literally come out in the morning, like literally like you'd see in the movies with their coffee and their bathrobe, <laughs> like look at this crazy couple, you know, walking all these damn dogs and pulling a dog in a wagon. And that's how we started. We would pull them in a wagon and, you know, we got a harness and kind of would guide his little wobbly body with a harness. And, you know, we just took it day by day and the, <laughs> there was no... Uh, like the rescue couldn't guide us because they'd never had special needs dogs. And at this point I wasn't on social media. So I had no input from anyone. I didn't have any friends that had special needs dogs, nothing. Um, all I had was an one occupational therapist said she worked with kids that had cerebellar hypoplasia. And they just explained to me that there were some similarities to cerebral palsy and you know, they told me like to do compression wrapping. I didn't even understand what compression wrapping was. And um, they would use big words like proprioceptive wrapping. And I just, <laughs> I didn't even understand what yeah. these things were. 
This episode is sponsored by Adina Pearson Nutrition. That's right, when I'm not talking doodle, I'm helping women of all ages find peace and joy with food. I'm a registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor specializing in eating disorders, emotional eating, and breaking free from yo-yo dieting. If you're tired of food controlling your life or simply feel confused about what, when, or how you're supposed to eat, I can help you restore peace, joy, and confidence to your eating. While I'm based in Washington, telehealth technology allows me to work with clients through many areas of the United States. And if you do live in Washington, I accept most insurance plans. Visit Adina Pearson Nutrition online to learn more at adinapearson.com. Don't spend another day fighting with food and your body. Reach out today to start your journey toward a healthy life that's free of food worries. You go to great lengths to take care of your doodle's health. Don't forget to invest in your health and happiness too. Well, I bet even your vet, your vet probably had no idea what, what to do with the dog. Well, well, yeah. So my vet, my family vet, he told me, he actually told me, uh, walk away from this. He goes, walk away from this. Um, ironically, my vet, I later found out is the same vet for Josh's breeder. And he knew about these dogs prior to me taking in Josh. Hmm. And I had talked to him about it one day at the office. And I said, have you ever heard of cerebellar hypoplasia? I said, I'm getting ready to foster this golden doodle. And he looks at me so sternly like a dad. And he looked at me, he goes, walk away from this. Hmm. And it's a vet I really respect. Um, But the vet that I actually used for Josh is this holistic vet by the name of Dr. Lyons. And she is the vet for the rescue. And so she had, she had experienced a few cases of cerebellar hypoplasia. So she was my biggest ally in this process. And she explained to me everything. She had to explain it over and over and over again, that essentially cerebellar hypoplasia is an underdevelopment of a lobe of his brain. And she kept saying, Kimberly, because I would say, how can I fix him? How can I make him better? She goes, first of all, he doesn't need to be better. This is who he is. She's like, get that through your head, get that through your brain. This is who he is. He's not sick. He's not in pain. He's not deteriorating. He's never going to get worse, but he's also never going to get better. He was born this way. And that was the first thing I really had to understand. And the other thing is that he's very, very smart. He's all there. He's present, emotionally, mentally present, physically present. But the part of his brain, this one part that controls his motor function, didn't fully develop when he was in the womb. And so as a result, when his brain says walk or run or whatever, his limbs don't communicate. And so here he is, this smart dog. He understands what's going on. He's capable of loving. He's capable of learning. He just has a hard time when his brain and his body try to talk to each other. So as the more I bridged that gap for him, the more ways I come up, the more different ways I come up with to help him bridge that gap the more successful he is. And that's really what our journey over the last, you know, two and a half years has been about is me helping Josh to experience all the things that my typically able dogs do, um, knowing that he's capable of doing it. I just have to assist. So that's, that's the story of how I got Josh. And clearly uh, he is like the light of my life. So (laughs) I can totally tell. And how long ago was that? Um, so let's see, it would have been two years this past September. So like two years and a handful, a couple months, few months, so is he just, months two and a half years almost. Okay. So he's between two and three years old, I'm guessing. Well, I got, well, I got him at 10 months. So oh, okay. he turned three so. in October. Yeah. It's cute. Yeah. Our birthday is exactly like one week apart. He's <laughs> so, um, like, he's like my little soulmate. I love him so much. He's, he's. I always, uh, to be honest, Adina, I do feel like he is Doug reincarnated in so mm. many ways. Mm-hmm. His personality and everything, he's just born into this different body. Uh, he just has different abilities than other dogs. But when I tell people that he really is no different to me, I see the disbelief on their face. I see them, They some people kind of pity me, you know, like not in a bad way, but just like, oh, she loves him so much. She doesn't see 
you know, what he really is. But yeah. the truth is they don't see mm-hmm. what he really is. And he, he is just a dog. He is like any other dog. He just has different abilities. And um, I did not understand that it's taken me a couple of years of being in this world of different abilities. And now I see it for what it is. And it's now extending into people, which is what the Be Like Josh Foundation is all about. Oh, tell us about that then. So basically my journey with Josh has just really changed me as a human being and how I view the world and my fellow human beings. It's taught me so much, so much more compassion, not pity, not charity, but true compassion. And the, it taught me about inclusion and it's taught me about the spectrum of all abilities. So the Be Like Josh Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit foundation dedicating to spreading the joy that is all abilities inclusion. And it's 50% special needs dog rescue. So we take on really complex neurological cases like, like Josh and even more complex than Josh. Josh is actually easy now compared to some of the cases we've had, um, as well as other special needs. You know, we have had some blind dogs, a double Merle, um, you know, just all different types of dogs that have different abilities than our typically abled dogs. And we highlight them. Uh, we don't, you know, they're not charity cases. They're not something to be pitied. And we tell the story of who they are, uh, you know, and, and the, the process of vetting them and diagnosing them and understanding them and then finding them their perfect family. And because I know, I believe that there are other people out there who are willing to love these dogs. It's not everybody. It's, I tell people it's not for everybody and that's okay. It doesn't have to be, but those rare chosen few that get to experience this magical world of different abilities. I, I believe that they find their way to these dogs. And so the dogs kind of serve as ambassadors of the message, right? Because Mm -hmm. It can't just be, it can't just be Josh because he while he is one of a kind and he's unique. Um, like we've adopted out other dogs like Josh, like his sister Katie and his brother Billy and his sister Olive, and more recently a dog named Judy and a dog named Beaver. And their owners are all equally smitten with these dogs and have these amazing experiences with them. And they're out there sharing on social media and sharing in their communities about their experience with different abilities. And what we've learned is human to human, we're, we, we as a society are still very uncomfortable openly talking about different abilities and acknowledging different abilities. But with animals, we seem to feel more comfortable with this open dialogue. We feel more comfortable asking questions and we fawn over them and we, we put them up on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. And so what we've done with these stories about the dogs and with Josh is we go into schools and we talk to children uh, ranging ages K through 12. So far, that's been our experience. And we take our message of all abilities inclusion. If you guys love Josh and you think Josh is so cool and you want to get your picture taken with Josh and he's so adorable, then why can we not see those same amazing, lovable traits in our, our human friends, our human counterparts that also have special abilities. And like, I was just at a high school here in the Valley called Castile High School earlier this week, um, talking to um, eighth grade students. Well, actually it was eighth through 12th grade about the spectrum of abilities. And I used a really good friend of mine. Uh, his name's Nish. He is a, he was a Josh follower and he has a degenerative neurological disability and he, he moved from Canada out here to Arizona. I'm his personal trainer now, and I've been working with him for a year. And um, he is like one of the most, I was telling the kids this, that he's like one of the most calm, smart, intuitive, just like amazing human beings I've ever met. But he has like a really challenging physical disability. And I am his friend and his personal trainer. And I have really amazing physical abilities. Like I'm a whiz kid in the gym. I'm a runner. I'm an athlete, but I really struggle. I have some invisible disabilities. I have some motion, some emotional disabilities that people can't see. Mm -hmm. So they always, people always tell me I'm so strong. 
Like people are always telling me how strong I, oh, Kimberly, you're so strong. And I know they see my stature, how I'm built and that plays into it. But also they just see the way I carry myself and they assume that I am this crazy strong person. And then there's Nish who is so mentally, emotionally just strong and solid, but he has these physical disabilities that people's eyes, they see that first Mm -hmm. and they automatically assume things about Nish. And so I told these kids, I said, you know, Nish sits on a spectrum of abilities, just like I sit on a spectrum of abilities. And if we're looking at a spectrum of physical abilities from one to 10, one being limited abilities and 10 being no limits on abilities, you know, I'm a 10 of physical abilities, whereas Nish might be a three. But if we were to look at an emotional ability spectrum, I'm the three and Nish is the 10. And I said, that's the same for you and everyone sitting around you, is that we're all on the spectrum of abilities. Some abilities, some disabilities and abilities can be seen and some lie below the surface. But at the end of the day, we're all human and we all need each other. We all want to be seen. We all want to be validated. We all want to be included. And so when I bring Josh to the schools, the kids can ask questions. And I tell them, I'm like, you can ask questions about Josh and about his disability and how I help him and, and what I think about him and all these different things. And you don't have to worry about choosing the perfect language. And then I teach the kids how to use more inclusive language um, when talking about different abilities. And um, I encourage them to go up to their, their peers of all different abilities that maybe have um, more limited physical abilities than them or limited emotional abilities than them and offer them a high five or a fist bump and ask them inclusive questions like, how are you today? What do you like to do? What grade are you in? You know, and that I try to teach them that at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter where we sit on the spectrum. We just want to be included. We just want to be liked. We just want to feel like we're part of something. And so I just encourage them to hashtag be like Josh, which is embrace all that they have, acknowledge one another and spread kindness and compassion. And we use Josh as like the ambassador of that. So we're like 50% rescue, 50% community outreach. And we sort of just focus on the youth and kind of bridging the gap in schools. Yeah, it's a beautiful message. Thanks. You can't help but smile when you look at Josh. And so I think to myself, like, you know, I can't provide a Josh for everyone, but for the right families, I can find them a, a dog that has, you know, different abilities. And then if I've had this huge like paradigm shift when it comes to abilities and inclusion, if they also adopt a dog of different abilities, they might have that shift and spread that message. And so it's like, I think as humans, we have a hard time connecting with one another, but a lot of us can connect with animals. And so that's really what it's about is, um, you know, finding the right homes for these dogs and then hoping that that message and the relationship between them and their dog carries over to their relationship with other humans. Mm -hmm. And I guess in my mind, that's like the end goal, right? Is, Is helping each other get through this lifetime. So that is the message. I love it. Love it. Now, when you, you said, you know, your first day with Josh, you were really scared. Like, what is this going to take? And, but you can rise to the occasion. I'm curious, what were the actual challenges about caring for Josh early on? And how has that changed? Um, For those of you who aren't familiar with Josh's Instagram page, it's called Josh the Doodle. And basically, I mean, watching him, you see this happy looking poofy doodle. He's small. How big is he? 30 pounds-ish? Yeah, he's, yep, he's 30 pounds, exactly. So like a mini, medium. And it looks, when he's walking, it looks like he's sort of dancing while drunk. Like he's just, it It yeah. looks like a hyper dog yeah. who has no control over his limbs. And he'll move forward and he can move about, but it's it takes a lot of um, extra movements <laughs> to get him to do that. And he does look super happy all the time. But I'm curious, outside of just, you know, making sure that he doesn't run into anything or fall down, what, what's the actual physical work that's different about caring for Josh versus a, a regularly able dog? Well, the, I think the first thought that came to our minds was, uh, like, this is going to be so inconvenient. You know, mm-hmm. that, was our, that was our biggest concern. You know, Andrew and I, we don't have kids. 
you know, we are kind of jet setters. And so our main concern was like, wow, this is going to be wildly inconvenient. Like, where this is, every, people told me like, wow, Kimberly, this is like adopting like a child with special needs, which at the time I listened going, oh yeah. And now I'm like, God, that's so offensive. Cause what's wrong with that? You know, I mean, who cares? We're all different abilities. But initially I thought, wow, this is gonna be really inconvenient because our, the main thing with Josh is he has such severe cerebellar hypoplasia that yes, he falls all the time. If I'm not advocating for him to stay upright. So essentially I have to be his legs and I mean, imagine, okay, if you had to walk your dog outside every time he wanted to go outside and you had to hold him up to eat, hold him up to drink, hold him up to go potty, hold him up when he wants to walk from the bedroom to the kitchen. I mean, that essentially is what Josh needs. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was about not letting him fall and hit his head. So when he falls, he smacks his skull. Every time he smacks his skull, we risk concussions, seizures, brain bleeds, death, you name it. So it's like protecting, it's like having you know, when your baby first starts walking and like you start covering, you start baby proofing your house. So there's no sharp corners and stuff. That was the first thing we had to do was, okay, how do we keep him safe? So he doesn't kill himself or injure himself. Mm -hmm. And then after that, it was like, how, how do we help this dog lead a typical full dog life? How do we get him out to go potty? How do we help him eat? And to be honest, I, I wish I could say it's as easy as like one, two, three, but I have a harness. He he wears a harness 24 seven. He wears like a lightweight little harness with a handle on his back. And I sort of marionette him by grabbing the handle. We, you know, we just grab the handle so he doesn't fall and we guide him. And with, with our other dogs being active and us being active, like the number one thing we did for Josh was increase his exercise. And just by moving his body more, he became stronger and more confident. So he does get up and walk on his own. I just have to guide him with his harness handle. So basically it's just, he doesn't go in and out our dog door and go potty on his own. We carry him out to the yard. We stand him up and stabilize him. And then we kind of guide him as he walks around looking for his place. And this takes a while. Mm -hmm. And then um, once he gets into his potty position, we kind of just hold his hips and stabilize him or we hold his harness handle so he doesn't fall. So we do that multiple times a day. Um, and my husband, and I have, uh, you know, constant dialogue, uh, verbal or text, you know, did Josh go number one? Did Josh go number two? And he's like in a routine. So we know, okay, he didn't go number two. He's due for a number two. Who's going to stop home on their lunch break and take Josh out because he just can't go in and out like the other dogs. Um, the other thing is feeding him. He can't really hold his head still. He's sort of like hen pecks with food. So I actually get down on the floor and I hand feed him, which sounds super bougie and self-indulgent. But prior to doing this, I kept trying to um, have him eat on his own. And it was just like, it was, it would take like forever. And he just didn't eat that much. He was always underweight. So now that I actually bring the food to his mouth, mm-hmm. he's a healthy weight. So I hand feed him. Um, I just sort of, it's interesting. You know, we've been together for so long now that he has really fallen into my routine as well. So when he feels me lift up on his harness handle, that kind of signals to his brain, okay, it's safe to walk. And then he'll kind of show me where he wants to go. Okay. I want to go to the sofa and he'll start walking towards the sofa. And then I just assist him in climbing up onto the sofa. And then once I set him there and I let go of his harness, he knows, okay, I'm going to stay here until mom comes back for me. Mm. And then if he needs me to come back for him sooner than I'm ready, he just lets me know by giving me a verbal, which is kind of like, uh, it's not a bark. It's sort of like a, I'll imitate it. And everyone laughs at me, but it sounds like this. Ah! Ah! Like, it's kind of (laughs) like this Josh noise. And he sort of slaps his paws up and down, which says, Hey, I need something. Uh And then I ask him a series of questions. I ask him a series of questions. I say, do you want a drink? And if he just stares, that means no. But if he if he does that same noise with a paw slap, that means yes, I need whatever you're saying. So he knows the commands drink, uh, go potty. And that's basically the two things that he'll want. Or he'll if he keeps doing that, then that means come sit with me. I want to engage with you. Since he can't get up and come to me when he wants love and affection, he has to give me the verbal and then I go through the question. And if we get through drink and we get through potty and he doesn't want those and he's still making that noise, then that means come to me, be with me. And so I'll go sit with him and we'll kind of play and engage. 
And then he sort of good. And wow. even saying that out loud. Yeah, I know. As I'm saying this out loud, I'm like, wow, this is what it's evolved into over the last two years. But well, what a neat what language and ability to communicate yeah. you have. That's I think that's more than most people have with their dogs if their dogs start staring or barking at them. Yeah, but you know, the main thing is I a lot of people think that I probably like coddle Josh and talk to him, but I actually don't. You know, I really try to treat him as much like a dog as I can. And I try to give him a lot of independence. I really, I try not to give into his every whim because he does rely on me so much. And I know that coddling dogs does lead to behavioral issues. So I really do try to ask him to self-soothe. And he ha- he does do that. He does self-soothe a lot, um, which is something I'm very proud of him for considering his challenges. So he's really a remarkable guy. Is he in a crate when everybody's gone out of the house? So he used to be in a crate uh, when he slept and uh, when we would leave him alone. But now, to be honest, and this is shocking too, now I can just leave him out on the floor uh-huh. um, like my other dog. So Ben, a couple of my dogs are in crates for behavioral reasons. And then the rest of my pack, they just lounge out um, on the floor. And Josh does that now because when I set him down, he knows, okay, I'm gonna stay, I have to stay here until she comes back. So I can leave him out on his blankie with like a chew toy or something. He'll just stay there all day while I'm at work. I can leave him alone for five, six, seven hours. No problem. Mm-hmm. That's Which awesome. I think is actually, yeah, it's remarkable actually. <laughs> I mean, that's like a regular dog. So sounds yeah, like, it's like a typical dog. mobility is the main thing is just helping him get to where he needs to go when he needs to go there. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like an extension of his legs. Yeah. Now, was Andrew on board with all the fostering from the beginning or did he have to kind of like warm up to it? Yeah, he he was a little slower to the process um, because it was a lot of work and he just wasn't into giving of himself and taking on that much work. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, as, you know, as we as we did more and more of it, we started to find out like we found our groove, like both Andrew and I really love um, hospice seniors. We, that's like our niche really is seniors. Mm-hmm. Um, we've both said we could have like 10 seniors and we would take 10 seniors over two young, typically <laughs> abled puppies. Mm-hmm. Like we, we just, we really love seniors, hospice seniors, um, the older, the better. And so like, that's really where Andrew has, has eased into it. So now we welcome more seniors because that's more our seed. But yeah, he was a little, he was a little slower to the process. It took him a while to get on board, but I forced him to. (laughs) Yeah. He seems like he's all into it now from Instagram anyway. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Now I get the hint from like following your stories that sometimes you get criticism for what you're doing and I'm, is that correct? Uh, yeah. Which sounds crazy. Like, how do you criticize someone (sighs) doing their thing, not hurting anyone else and helping dogs? Yeah. I mean, I could, again, I feel like I could probably do a whole other hour podcast interview on my thoughts on social media feedback. You know, I'm criticized for like, you know, a lot of different things. The list goes on. I think in relation to the dogs, I think that social media is guilty of showing a sliver of a story and without a background, you know, it's kind of like, reading a book, people lend it their own, like they make up this, their own narrative in their mind. And so I think they see a sliver of my story and then they sort of project their own beliefs or experiences or whatever onto that. Mm-hmm. And then the, they, they spin it. The, the only, my only beef with social media is go ahead and have those thoughts, have that narrative, spin it any way you want. Talk to your friends about it. Bring me up at dinner parties, write about <laughs> me on your own page. Mm-hmm. But what they can't control is this urge to be heard on my page. Mm. And that's really, that's what ruffles my feathers is, you know, I have two eyes and an opinion as well. And I see tons of things I don't agree with on social media. And I don't ever say anything on anybody else's platform because that's their truth. And, you know, my truth is reflected on my page. And so I think just a lot of people have their opinions on dogs. and. um you know, it started off with like, they would see him before he was as well known as he is. Mm-hmm. See, that's one good thing about having a large platform is there's this whole community, you know, we call it the Josh army of people that can set 
other people straight. If someone's like, oh God, that dog, oh God, put that dog down. I used to get those comments in the beginning, put that dog down. And I would get so defensive because I'm like, are you kidding me? Put the, tell me why Susan in Nebraska, why do I need to put this dog down? You don't know anything about this dog. Mm -hmm. And I don't get so much of, I don't get so much of that anymore. Now it's like petty criticisms, you know, like people love to criticize his hair. And stuff like that, which drives, which drives me crazy because it's really not that they're criticizing his hair because his hair does look like he stuck his paw in a light socket, you know? <laughs> um, but it's because it's a page about all abilities inclusion and the message is so much deeper and more important than something as superficial as hair. Mm-hmm. And I know that a lot of golden doodle owners are so into having their doodle perfectly groomed. But I'm over here on this other end of the ability spectrum where I don't have the luxury of dropping my dog off at a groomer and coming back four hours later. I have to assist my groomer by holding him up and holding him still for three hours while he gets groomed. And so it's not that easy for me. And I don't really have a lot of options in terms of grooming. So Josh isn't as well-groomed as like Doug, my typically abled golden doodle was. So things like that. Uh, it's just a lack of understanding. And unfortunately, when we share our truth, not everybody wants to hear the whole story. You know, they, it's, it's more, it's like impulsive, you know? So I just get a lot of petty criticisms for that. And then, um, and then of course, criticisms on my rescue work. Mm. And again, it's just because they don't see the the story, like the whole 360 view. So yeah, that's unfortunate. Now, if somebody wanted to participate in the Be Like Josh Foundation or like volunteer for fostering, is that something available just in your area or is, is your foundation go beyond your um, Arizona? Well, that's actually a great question. Um, I initially started off saying I'll take foster help anywhere because I usually have cases come in from like all over. But what I've found just already in the work we've done is we, we really do need the dogs local, like mm-hmm. myself and my partner, Jenny, um, who is all of the tiny doodles mom. Um, we have to have our hands on these dogs and like, let our, like get a gut assessment for them. So we've tried fostering abroad, but it's really difficult. So typically, yeah, if you're going to foster for the Be Like Josh Foundation, um, I do need them to be in Arizona here in the Phoenix metro area, but I do like to create and I'm in the process of creating like a whole countrywide, actually North American wide, including Canada network of people that can hold and transport. So like, say I have a case coming in from Ontario, someone has a complex neurological case. If we're taking the dog in, I do need people along the way. Cause I usually set up like a ground transport mm-hmm. and it would be great if I had someone in Ontario that could take the dog in from the breeder, hold on to it get it fed, get it clean, get it to safety for a couple of days. Maybe I vet the dog initially from a distance so that they're safe for transport and they're initially evaluated and then they make their journey to Arizona. So I am always expanding my network, but in terms of fostering, I do really need help here in the Phoenix area. Okay. Awesome. We will put a link to the foundation and to your Instagram and anything else you think, like if you want to send me information on Sean Waters, the trainer, happy to include that in there too. Anything, any last words you want to say? Any, you know, last message you want to leave with? Just be kind and try to open your mind and your eyes and your ears to other people's truth and don't take it personal. If mm-hmm. it's not something you've experienced, I don't necessarily mean you, Adina, but your listeners, if it's not something you've experienced, don't judge it. Just sit back and watch it. Just watch it. Just take it in and let it sit with you. Don't necessarily react. You know, just take it in and let it sit with you because there's so much we can learn from each other out there. And you know, all abilities rescue. It's an, it's kind of new. It's, it's a new idea, but for anyone that wants to follow our page and kind of see what I'm talking about, if Josh doesn't change your mind about giving dogs with special needs a chance, I don't know what will, because he's the happiest guy I've ever met. Yeah, totally. Well, thank you so much, Kim, for being here. I so appreciate being able to chat with you and get your story out there to our listeners. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Oh, thank you too. 
Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Doodle Kisses podcast. If you have any ideas or recommendations for future topics or guests, send me an email at admin at doodlekisses.com. That's A-D-M-I-N at doodlekisses.com. Also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or however you get your podcasts so you can have every episode ready to listen to as soon as it comes out. The show notes will link you to our GoFundMe page as well as links to some of the things we discussed in today's episode. Talk to you next time on the next episode of the Doodle Kisses podcast.